Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Now, it's interesting to note that there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And of the four Gospels, only two of them mention the Nativity. Only two mention Christmas. Matthew gives us the perspective of Joseph, and the Gospel of Luke gives us the perspective of Mary. We're going to look at Luke's Gospel in just a couple of moments. But again, what's interesting to note is of the four Gospels, only two of them mention the Nativity. What's also interesting is that Christmas is never mentioned again anywhere in the New Testament outside of Matthew and Luke. But of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, up to half of each one of those Gospels is about Easter, up to half. You see, Easter is the point of Christianity. Now, I'm not diminishing Christmas, but if you were to look at our culture, you would think Christmas is the point. Not to diminish Christmas, but again, the faith that we are leaning into is made secure through the resurrection of Jesus. And I would dare say you would have never heard of Christmas if it were not the fact that Easter is true. Now, with that said, what we're going to do again, as I already mentioned, we're going to take a look at Luke's gospel. And Luke's gospel brings us the perspective of Mary. Here's our reading. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to a firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. By the way, that's the most repeated command in all of the Bible. Do not be afraid. I bring you good, no good news that will cause great joy for all the people today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, 
let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Every Christmas season, every pastor has the challenge of bringing a message that is unique from the Christmas story. I've already referenced that there's actually not a lot about the Christmas story found in scriptures. And yet for five weeks, every single year, we are called to come up with something fresh and something new. And so this year, I was extremely prayerful. And I literally did. I prayed over this story and kind of sat with it. And I really wanted a perspective of this story that would be meaningful and would touch us during this Christmas season. And oddly enough, I felt drawn to the following verse. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Context matters in Scripture deeply. What you may or may not know, but shepherds at the time of Jesus were considered the lowest of the low. Not only were they part of the lower class, but they were viewed as a profession, as a group of people who could not be trusted. Some biblical historians tell us that the word of a shepherd was not allowed in the court of law. They couldn't be trusted. The rest of culture viewed them with, with deep, deep suspicion. And it's interesting to note that of all the people that God could have sent his angels to, by the way, angel in Greek just means messenger. Of all the people that God could have sent a messenger to, he chose shepherds. So I sat with that for a while. And I thought to myself, of all the professions, of all the people that were available that night, God chose them. And he sent an angel to bring them the message. And it's relatively apparent in Scripture, when they didn't budge, an angelic host came to back up the angel. And after that, the shepherds look at each other and say, I think we better go check this out. Now, when I think about this story, and I think about why did the angel and the heavenly host come to the shepherds, some things began to dawn on me. First of all, when you think about shepherds and their understanding of kind of who they were in culture, they would no doubt be a group of people that would be 100% convinced that if God would do anything in the world, it would exclude them. 
because culture had told them that. Now, whenever I think about this angelic invitation and the invitation of shepherds to go and visit the birth of God's king, I think about a story that involves a neighbor that we used to have. When we moved to Charlottesville 26 years ago, we ended up purchasing a home and our neighbor was the ultimate neighbor. You would actually pay to have a neighbor like this. She had become a widow right as we were moving. And she was the type of woman that was, would bake cookies for our kids. She was so sweet and so kind. And she never had children of her own. And so here we are. We live in the house right next to her. And one of the things that you know is always helpful when people are grieving loss, you go and sit with them and you just ask them questions about the person that has passed. And so every once in a while, when I would be sitting with her and talking with her, I would ask her about her husband and she told me amazing stories about him. He was the first Westerner to step into Hitler's bunker after the bunker had been conquered and he gathered all of the photographs that were there and he brought them back. I looked at them in photo albums in her living room. The other thing she told me about him was that he was an amateur archaeologist. And so I asked some questions about where he'd been, and she told me that he had been on digs in Egypt. And while he was in Egypt on a dig, he was befriended by a man, and they made a fast friendship. And his name was Mr. Onassis. Not long after that, Mr. Onassis got engaged to a rather famous woman in America. Her name was Jacqueline Kennedy. And lo and behold, my neighbor and her husband received an invitation to go to the wedding. I asked her how the wedding was. And they never went. They never went because here's what her husband said to her. He said, people like us do not go to events with people like that. You could see the sadness in her. Her husband had felt that he wasn't worthy to go to that type of an event with those types of people. You see, I think that's why God sent an angel to the shepherds because they would have been ultimately convinced. They would have been utterly convinced that everyone else would be invited to the event of the birth of God's son but them. So God literally cracks open heaven, not only sends one angel, but the heavenly host comes down and it reverberates through the valley that they are welcome to. The text says that when the angel first appears in the middle of the night, the scripture says, and it's translated into English, that they were terrified. They were terrified. What's interesting to note, though, is if you were to look at this in Greek, it's absolutely fascinating. And I'm not looking to teach you Greek this evening, but I just wanted you to see how it comes across in the original biblical language. It is ifobethsen phoban megan. Doesn't that read more cool than they were terrified? Literally in Greek, this is how it reads. That phobethesen, phoban, megan. And you see the word phoban in the verb 
to fear. Do you see that? You see, in Greek, words live in families, and they can go from being nouns to verbs, depending on which ending you put on. So if you were actually to read this the way it's written, it would say, they feared with feared mega. By the way, if you look at phobon and you recognize phobia, you should, because that's where we get the English word phobia from. So this text literally reads, and of course, Megan is where we get the English mega, great. So it literally would read, they feared with fear, great. That's how it reads. The reality of it is, when I read about the shepherds being in the dark of night with their animals, full confession, I have raw memories of this in my own life. Here's why. I was raised on a farm in Wisconsin, and at about the age of eight, my dad informed me my morning chores at quarter to six in the morning meant I had to walk from our farmhouse all by myself to the barn, go in the barn, which had no lights on whatsoever, turn on the lights, and then feed all of our animals. I can tell you, I know the fear of walking in 30-degree weather in the pitch black of night because my dad said, we don't own the electric company. You don't need lights. And so I literally would walk from the back porch, and when I stepped off the back porch, I would try to lure my German shepherd out from underneath the back porch to go with me, and Jinx would crawl out, feel the minus 30-degree weather, and he would scoot back under there, and I would walk to the barn all by myself, and I would sing at the top of my lungs because I just thought if I did that, it would make it better, and I would step into the barn. I can't tell you how creepy it sounds when animals begin to wake up in the dark. And there I was, it was just like, and then I turn on the lights and just breathe a sigh of relief. The text tells us that the angels came to the shepherds and they were out in the fields with the animals at night. I know exactly what that feels like. Now in every message that's preached at City, we have what's called feet to your faith. What do we do with this simple phrase? And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. You see, timing matters in Scripture. Context matters. And God chooses to bring forth his son at night. The scripture is clear to tell us Jesus was born at night. You see, at night, this is the time when uncertainty, the unknown, the limits of our humanness, self-will, self-help, self-reliance, and all of our fears are revealed. Night is also the time in ancient Jewish theology when darkness and evil breaks through into the world in which humans live. I'm sure you know this, but the day with the greatest darkness of the year was December 22nd, two days ago. It had more darkness than any other day of the year, more night. 
not to make too much of this, but pastorally, I know this is true, that there's something called seasonal affective disorder, acronym for SAD. Interesting, it is a mood disorder when people who typically have normal mental health begin to exhibit symptoms of depression because of the lack of sunlight and light and the increase of darkness. What you and I all know is that night and darkness are not always about the time of day. Many people have met with me over the years and said to me, Pete, I've been in a dark place. Spiritually, it's often called the midnight or the long night of the soul. It's interesting to note that God chose to send his son at night. The Gospel of Matthew tells us kind of the milieu of the day in which Jesus was born, Matthew 4.16. The people living in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You're sitting here and maybe you can relate to this. You know what darkness is like. You know what an elongated night is like. None of us would ever sign up for it. Yet there it is. What I want to say to you is this. Is that the next time you have that or the memory of that comes forward. Just remember that Jesus was born at night. He was born at a time where people needed light. They were living in darkness. The shadow of death was over them. And it's into that that he was born. Maybe you're sitting here and you can't relate to this concept at all. I'm not saying this to be negative, but there will come a point of time in your life, just like there's been in mine, where you will have a prolonged season of darkness. And when you do, always remember that that's when Jesus was born. He was born when people truly needed it, just like me and just like you. If you're sitting here and you're convinced that whatever God would do in this world would never involve you, I believe that that's why Jesus was first announced, his, first, his birth was first announced to a group of shepherds who would have been convinced of that too. But just to prove to them how much God loved them, he made sure that his son was born in a manger exactly the way the shepherds placed their children. It was the thing that convinced them that God knew them and God loved them. Let's stand together, stand with your candles, and we're going to sing Silent Night together.
move towards a time of the lighting of our candles. But before we do that, if we could close our eyes just for a moment. I don't know where you're at on your journey of faith, but I would encourage you in this moment just to open to your heart to the birth of Jesus and what it means that God stepped into the world so that we would truly know who he is and how much he loves us. So Lord, I pray over my own heart and my own life. I pray over the lives of everyone that's here, that you would touch each one with the Christmas story, and that you would fill our hearts with your love. Even in the midst of your darkness, bring your light and your love, because we so desperately, desperately need it. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to see if there's a small child or a younger child that would like to come up front and help me. Is there a child that's here that would like to come up and help me? I'm going to need a helper. Anyone want to come up? All the kids were at the last service. You couldn't even hear yourself think there were so many kids. <laughs> How are you, sweetheart? What's your name? Addison. What is it? Addison. Addison, I'm Pete. Give me a fist bump. It's good to meet you. How this is going to work is that in just a moment, I'm going to light your candle and you're going to go down that aisle over there and you're going to light the candles of the people, okay? And you walk to the back. Don't light their hair. Light the candle. You got that? Are you sure? Adelaide. All right. So then what we're going to do as well is the next time we sing this through, the lights will be dimmed and we're going to be lighting each other's candles. So here we go, Addison. All right, you'll go down that aisle. I'll go down this one. Thank you.
Can we all hold up our candles real high? Blake, would you mind leading us in that, the last one, one more time? Let's just kind of keep our candles raised. Let's sing it with all of our hearts, and then we'll conclude in prayer. Silent night, holy 